My name is Piet Hielens and I'm content director of the In Flanders Fields Museum. Yes, so um, I'm, I'm responsible for what you see in exhibitions, uh, what happens downstairs in the, in the research center, so everything which is in, in public services kind. And so that means also the content of the museum, the way we tell uh, the story of the war, and, and uh, basically, yeah, let's say the philosophy of the museum, because there's a, a, a myriad ways of telling a story about war. And uh, here we, we tell the story from very much the perspective of the experience of war, which is basically uh, very similar for all people who were involved. So it's like it's a, it's a history from bottom up rather than top down. And, and um, so it's, it's uh, a, a, an approach, uh, the war seen as a, as a terrible experience for uh, people who lived in that generation. And that includes also civilians, it also includes uh, the perspective of non-combatants, uh, uh, which is also already rather exceptional for, for a war museum. So that, that, that's something else. It's perhaps also the reason why we have uh, equal numbers in uh, in visitor numbers uh, in in gender. So it's uh, as many men as women, and most of the time it's more men than, than women in war museums, but but, but not here. Pete, we've just walked in together to, into this magnificent building, the Cloth Hall, where the In Flanders Fields Museum is, and the thing that strikes me is that what it was like here in the war, this building was virtually destroyed. It was a shell standing and, and most people would be familiar with the photos and it doesn't bear any resemblance to what it is today. Where are we now? We've just walked in up the stairs yeah. and what is this gallery here? This yeah. So we, we uh, uh, have a, a big screen which is already shattered as you can see but where you will see images of like, like say a pre-war existence not only in Ypres but, but let's say across Europe and um, the uh, images you will see of the cloth hall, but maybe I can show it not in the in the film, but here on the on the poster. Um, this is a pre-war poster and uh, making an advertisement for its magnificent medieval uh, buildings, all of which are still there today. Only they haven't been for some time, so they were there just prior to the war. This is a, a 1913 poster, and. They will be back, say, this one, the last one, the cloth hall where we were in, that was finished only in 1967. So it's only like a little more than 50 years old now, uh, the part of the building we are in now. Um, and and uh, so what happened is that Ypres was at the center of a, of a very famous battlefield, uh, a, a, a bulging position sticking out in the, in, in the enemy line called a salient, and in fact this was almost known as the salient, it was the Ypres salient, there were many more, but, but uh, this one was particularly, uh, well, infamous, and uh, because of the fact that it, it never broke, it's, it was, was created in October 1914, and it never broke until October 1918, so for four full years people were fighting here. As for people for Australia, they came here um, first, the, the only part of the team, 
in, in uh, September 1916, but then for the full year of 1917 and early uh, 1918, uh, they were here taking part in two major battles, the Battle of Messines in, to the south of Ypres, and then uh, the, the third Battle of Ypres, known as the Battle for Passchendaele, which is to the east and uh, northeast of Ypres. And, and um, the, the two Anzac Corps um, played um, yeah, a very significant role in that, losing in all 15,000 lives here, of whom uh, quite a number went missing, and those missing are all in name on the Manning Gate, which is just 150 meters away from here, just uh, in, the, in the old fortifications, the ramparts of the city, and where you still have uh, a daily ceremony at 8 o'clock each night. Mm. So that's basically, in, in short, what is Australia's part in this story. This story is much wider, and it's told from a, a people's perspective. So you come here as a, as a visitor, and you can... With your bracelet, you, you can uh, leave a, a, a few, um, uh, a, a few uh, uh, characteristics of your own personality, where you come from, uh, your gender, your age, and uh, the computer will try and find if there is a matching story. Mm-hmm. And, and that story you can, you can encounter on your on your bracelet. Um, and let's just say that little bracelet, it's a, it's a white bracelet with a, a, a red poppy on it. And it's sort yes. of like, it's a, it's a rubber sort of thing, like a, a what we call Fitbits or something. It, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, well, it, I mean, it organizes the language. I mean, some, some of the screens have, have uh, uh, four languages and then you can, if, if you, this bracelet is now uh, programmed uh, to be in English, and so then, then the screen will come up in English. But it can also do personal, personalized things like uh, meet uh, the Australian person uh, who's maybe, if, if, you're, if you're from Victoria somewhere, well, you, you'll get a guy from Melbourne or something like that. Mm. And, and that's the way we want to do it. Take me through it, Pete. Yes, it's yeah. coming up to the inside here now. We've yeah. walked through the entrance gallery. Yeah. Um, and we probably can't do everything because it's, it's massive. And it's, how long would you normally take to spend uh, through here? I would say take at least an hour and a half. And if you want to include a visit to the Belfry Tower... So then you, you have to do the steps. We were not allowed to put in an elevator, so, so it's all uh, climbing stairs. And uh, I think there's 270 of them, so it's quite a, a steep climb. But from there you have a great view, not only on, on the completely rebuilt city, but also on the surrounding battlefields, since the battlefield was four kilometers from the city center here. And then, so you can see the green part around the city is basically where you'll find the cemeteries, the monuments, etc. And, and so, so if you want to have a visual contact with that, the first time to do that is climb uh, the Belfry Tower. And then you would allow an extra half an hour, so two hours visit. Maybe just a sample of some of the things and, yeah. and, and just to give people a feel of, of oh, what yeah. it's like. Here we're walking up to a map. Uh, a map of Belgium, uh, but not normally a map you see that with, with the north uh, on top. Here it's from east to west and that's very much in the steps of the invading German army. They started in the east of the country and went all the way to Ypres there. 
and you see all the, the names of, of, of the cities in Belgium that played a part in the war in the opening months, weeks and months of the war. Uh, Liège, of course, uh, Dinant, Antwerp, and then everything shifts towards um, the west, and then you have Newport on the coast, Dixmude in the center, and Ypres to the south. And Ypres is the most international sector. So this introduction part about the map here with all the, the objects and, and witness accounts and films standing around, uh, that is just the opening two months of the war. And then for the rest of the museum, we'll be in that little bulge that you see around Ypres there. And that's where it will, will stop and where the international war will continue. As it will, of course, in France. Um, the Australians were also at, at Fromel, which is south of Armentier. Uh, they were also on the Somme and, and uh, uh, as far as Peron and, uh, and Saint-Quentin. So that is uh, basically the part that uh, for Australians would be, would be very familiar. And we should say, uh, it, this is a, a big map on the floor in a, yeah. uh, uh, with the screens coming out of sort of poles coming yeah. up with different videos you can watch from historical photos, different yeah. things. There's about, I don't know, at a quick glance, maybe 10 screens. Yeah. And either side, there's and, some. And these are all uh, uh, specific parts of uh, that war of movement of the opening months of the war. And we see two other features which are of interest here. You see someone, uh, if we walk to a bit now, you, you will probably hear it, also you will pick it up with your microphone. Um, a witness account, played out by an actor today, of course, but it's his literal words of this uh, Belgian uh, family uh, who became a refugee family as uh, one and a half million Belgians were on the run during the war because of, of, uh, of course, the, the arrival of the war. And uh, he's telling how he's uh, uh, going on the bicycle with all of the family and then he's going into France. And he has in his hand a walking stick. And the walking stick you also see in the showcase in front of him. So, so this is a very special relic of a, of a story of a hundred years ago. This is the genuine walking stick that he took with him. And on it he wrote who accompanied him and on the flip side, what were the places where they stayed for a longer period? So it's an amazing object which, which uh, uh, embraces the whole story of being a refugee in the First World War. So that's, that's one feature. We will meet more of witness accounts like that. And so, to, again, this is a very personal approach. Mm. Uh, I'm not just telling you from the top down, oh, Belgium had a million and a half refugees and France had another 600,000 and blah, 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 blah. No, let the people talk for themselves. That's, that's the way to do it. And people will listen because, uh, you know, it's a, a, a father with a, with a wife and four children. Well, that's happening today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's exactly the same. The other thing I wanted to uh, show you is that uh, he died on the 13th of December of any war uh, year. And then you see all these names indiscriminate of... Uh, where they came from, if they were civilians or military, uh, for which side they were fighting. Uh, 570 people died in this city or near the city on this salient 
during the years of the First World War from 1914 to 1918. So it's 570 of them, is it? Of, yes. Of the selected names? Yes, and, and so now you see a projection of the 570 names and it's on a scroll, it's, an, uh, it's on a loop all day through. And tomorrow it will be those of the 14th of December, and so on and so on and so on, day in, day out. We had during the centenary families came coming out here with their cameras to see this as the name of their relative past, which, which, was, which is amazing, of course. We never believed it would be that personal, but, but it is, you know. Uh, one in five of the visitors have still a personal connection with the First World War. A hundred years on, it's hard to imagine, but, but that's, that's the way it is. It's, it's, it's almost 20% of our visitor numbers today. Yeah. Direct links to... Have, 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 have direct links, and that's the reason why they come here. Because, of course, uh, I mean, either they are commemorated on missing memorials or they are buried in one of the cemeteries here, in the military cemeteries. And you can go and visit their graves. So that is always extremely special, you know. And 570 names, of course, it would be... If you listed every name of every fallen soldier, you would... It would take, I don't know, maybe a, another hundred years to get through them. Yes, of course. And so we only do those ones uh, who died or were mortally wounded in Belgium. Uh, and, and I should add also, since we're not too far from the border, some of them were um, severely or, or mortally wounded uh, in combat around Ypres, but were evacuated and died during the evacuation, but are now buried in the north of France. So, so... This is, uh, in all, it's uh, near 600,000 uh, people, just for Belgium and, and, and the area around Ypres. So just to clarify, is it 570 names or 570,000? No, 570 names today, on the 13th of December, of the years of the war. So 256 in 1914, 91 in 1915, 48 in 1916, 141 in 1917 and 30 in 1918, although the war was already over, still uh, people dying from their wounds uh, on this day. On this day. For each of the years. Yeah, for each of the years. And, uh, and so, so, so that, that is uh, basically it. And you can see, for instance, uh, Cecil Howard Purden Crichton Brown in 1918 is a civilian. I think he must have been a journalist or something because he doesn't have a Belgian name. No. So, so no. He, he arrived here. Uh, uh, you will also, in 1917, I'm, I'm dead sure of it, you will have, uh, well, they, he, you see already one of the Anzac Corps New Zealand Rifle Brigade, uh, but I'm sure there will be uh, Australian victims as well and so and that is in any day of the year there's probably Australian victims yes. so, so and, and 570 is probably a, one of the quieter days it's one of the quieter days yes it's not during one of the major battles uh, if you would come in October for instance mm. uh, th uh, then you have of course October 1917 where, the, where the, 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 the worst part of the battle for Passchendaele happened and where you will have thousands in just the day in 1917 so if you then still add to the others so I must be honest with you and there's um, four or five days that the opening hours of the museum is not enough to show them all because it's over 10,000 and, then, and then, then we cannot show them all. The figures are staggering. Yeah, yeah they are, they are. 
we've just come into the next part along here now, and it's um, yep. well, describe this, Pete. This is um, um, a map, and very soon with with um, a, a little uh, relief in it. So you can see it's very flat, and, and we exaggerate the, 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 the hilly side to the south uh, and east of Ypres just to, to pronounce that salient. Because why was it a, a semicircle around the city? Well, it's basically because of the, the geography. It was a very tiny little ridge with a vero, very narrow top. And because of the narrow top, everybody was fighting for that. If you held a high ground, then of course you had command over the whole position. That is true in any war of, of position. And in trench warfare is a war of position and that's the, wherefore you, you have this. So here we explain how they arrived here in October 1914. And it starts around the 7th of October with the first troops uh, arriving from Antwerp and from uh, the Marne and the Aisne in north of France, where, as you can see them, they arrive from the south and very soon they will be arriving from the east up there. And you see um, the North Sea on top, Newport, then a, a river called the Iser, then Ypres, and then behind, beyond Ypres you have Messines and then Armaltiere, and then already you are into France. So this is the section of the war of the Western Front just on the Belgian territory. That's all, that's all it is. It's not more than that. It's 85 kilometers. It's nothing more. And in this part, 600,000 people died, or approximately. And the figures, uh, you, you can't sort of get your head around that sort of numbers. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, if we would have modern wars uh, like that, with that kind of, of thing, it would be unbelievable. No army could 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 continue like that mm. how did they continue a hundred years ago well that is some one of the very special things is how were people so driven to do this to the right of so so here you see the the, the war evolving in the projection to the right of that you see what happens to this building you have a painting here and the center of it is this building the cloth hall but as you can see it's like Notre Dame uh, last year in Paris uh, it's the cloth hall on fire. That happened on the 22nd of November 1914. The salient had been formed, uh, as, as you will see there, it will form very soon, and um, they cannot break through. And so then they decide, if we cannot have the city, well, we will burn it with incendiary bombs, and so uh, it cannot be used, or it cannot be used well, uh, as a garrison town for the Allies. And so that is what happened on the 22nd of November. All of the city centre will burn down. And of course, people will continue to live in it for another six months until uh, during the Second Battle of Ypres, um, when then uh, gas is used for the first time, then it becomes too unsafe for the civilians and they are forced to, to leave. This looks pretty unsafe to me, this picture oh, here. Yeah, well, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, how, how on earth that 8,000 people still continue? So half of the population had, had uh, fled already, uh, but half of the population was living in, in cellars, in ruined houses, and, and so they continued. Um, why is that? Well, people stick to what they have, stick to what they know, and, and don't want to move. And then they are forced to move uh, because of the gas, because, of course, the gas cloud was meant for the soldiers in the trenches at the front. But, of course, as it was uh, uh, poured out 
over uh, and, and put through through the wind, by the wind, it was driven by the wind. The wind didn't stop at the trenches, so it came over the city, killing more people, and then the rest of them just knew that they had to go. You see already here now, as uh, we speak, uh, the, the, the battle is an unfolding, and you can see, so, uh, to the one side, to the east side, you have all of the German army, and then to the other side, so that's one color that's red, and then you have uh, the Belgian army, the French army, and the British army. And that will remain the same throughout the war. So the Allied side on, on, on the western side of, of, of Ypres is very much an international affair, hence the 110 different countries where people came from. Because, of course, I say now the British Army, but we all know that in those days it was the British Empire with all of its dominions and all of its colonies. And everybody came. Not all of them as, as combatants, but if they were not coming as combatants, they came as labor force. And, and so, so you, you have people who were born throughout uh, the British Empire. The same with the French, of course. Mm. The French uh, colonial system was as bad as the, as the British one, and so uh, they, they had uh, already two-thirds of the world's population, which was engaged. And then, uh, uh, so it moved on. Uh, what we've overlooked now is the uniforms of 1914. We will see them again. And a um, special reason, you're just too early, because we are preparing now um, a full uh, Australian uh, uniform and equipment, which we didn't have when, when we opened, but we have one now. So, but, but the 1914, this is not yet uh, the Australians arriving. They are, they are volunteering, they are, they are getting ready, but as you know, they will first go, go to Gallipoli. Yeah. Just getting ready, getting ready to go to Gallipoli. Yeah, yeah, Gallipoli and not here. You hear some singing? Meinen Leuten habe ich befohlen, dass heute, am Heiligen Abend und an den Weihnachtstagen, kein Schuss von unserer Seite abgegeben werden darf, wenn es zum Gehen ist. Die Feier hat so manchen zu Tränen gerührt. I can, I can tell you the soundtrack of this, if you want. Uh, this is uh, uh, the Christmas truce of 1914, yeah. which happened between members of, of all armies, and we have just a witness account of four of them who, who tell their experience of this very special Christmas when they decided not to go and fight, but have a, a Christmas party instead. But appropriate, given that Christmas is uh, not too far away. No, 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 no. And then, of course, it's, it's, let's say, it's the one beam of light that you get in the whole story, because here we are, the clearing of one battlefield to the north of Ypres, where we have now an industrial estate, learned us how incredible the amount of, of war debris, which is still in the ground. And, and, and so what you see here is just in, 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 in one field, you see all the things that you can still find today. It's approximately uh, gathered on one hectare. And, and you see to the right here, you see a lot of shrapnel, shrapnel bullets. Um, it's a 1915 uh, battlefield, um, this, this uh, to the north of Hebrew. And, and shrapnel was, was, was m much used at, in, at, at that time. 
And then when you go over to the other side, you will see all of the other things, detonators, but also timing tubes, also parts and shards of big uh, shells. And you must uh, realize that at a velocity of up to 800 kilometers an hour, all of these iron bits and pieces are lethal, all of them. And, and so, so it gives you an, an, an idea of, of how you can understand that two-thirds of all the casualties in the First World War were ca casualties from artillery fire. And, and just by looking at what comes out of the ground on just one field, you, you know this must be true. You also see human presence, of course. The belt buckles, are they? Is that what yes, they are? yes, there are belt buckles and there are buttons from, from uniforms. That's what you also find 100 years on. Mm. So, so it gives you an image, a grim uh, reminder of, of how, what a battlefield looked like. And, um, and, and so artillery is, is, uh, is the important factor. This is not a big one. This is a very tiny little field gun. Uh, but, but, I mean, we were on the first floor. We couldn't bring in <laughs> the, heavy, the heavy beast. We don't have one either. Um, adding to that, of course, in the second Battle of Ypres, and then we, we come around here, is, of course, what happens here. This is uh, uh, another witness here, Fritz Haber, the German chemist who says, I know a way to break through this stalemate, we're going to introduce gas. And that's how the second battle of Ypres starts with uh, the, the release of, of chlorine gas from over 5,000 uh, gas cylinders uh, and over the wind that drifted over, over the trenches of, of uh, the Allies. And um, he gives a witness account. And then after him, we will hear one of his uh, pioneers who is opening the bottles and then is walking behind the gas cloud. And then what he sees is also in the witness account. So, um, And these are from actual records, are they? And this is from actual records. This is from witness accounts. Mm. And then, of course, it's present-day actors who, 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 who impersonate them. But but they are the actual words of the people of the day. Um, in, in fact, um, this guy here, uh, Willy Siebert, that's his military pass. It was donated to the museum by his son. His father had, after the First World War, migrated to uh, the United States, lived in California. And he told this story, he wrote it down, um, in, let's say, more or less broken English, <laughs> since he was a, a German immigrant and, and didn't have the, the real grasp of the language. It's in a very um, simple way describing to his son, who was then little, uh, what, what, what he saw. And it's, um, it's a very moving account, in fact, uh, which is quite in stark contrast with this here. Just the facts and figures of, uh, oh, this is going to win us the war and stuff like that, which is, of course, wasn't true. Mm. Uh, this is the guy. And while it had cleared, and, the, and we walked past the empty gas bottles, what we saw was total death. Mm. Nothing moved, nothing was alive. All of the animals had come out of their holes to die. 
dead rabbits, rats and mice were everywhere. The smell of the gas was still in the air. It hung on the few bushes which were left. When we got to the French lines, the trenches were empty. But in a half mile, the bodies of French soldiers were everywhere. It was unbelievable. Then we saw there were some English. We could see where the men had clawed at their faces and throats, desperately trying to get breath. Some had shot themselves. The horses still in the stables were dead. Cows, chickens, everything, all were dead. Everything, even the insects, were dead. Well, that's... Uh, uh, it's a sharp contrast to the Christmas truce and just, uh, it, it, it does convey it well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's such yeah. horrible yeah, and, death and, and destruction. It's, it's, it's incredible and so that's, that's why we're so lucky to have this witness account of a guy who actually was there on the day and even he, if he was the enemy, he, he, he still could relate to it in a very human way. He looked at it as a, as a person. And, uh, and that's the message to his son, of course. So the first gas attack was, was very bad, but very soon, and that's what we see here, is, is the gas mask in defense of that. And, and with the gas, mats, gas, gas masks arriving, of course, um, there was no um, certainty as the first time that uh, the gas would be efficient, that it would be effective. And in fact, what they tried in the rest of the war, in the remainder of the war, and that's why it was so horrible for the men to, to, to have to fight in this, is that they started shelling with a combination of different gases, so that the um, neutralizing agent uh, in, in the, the, the cylinders, in the, in the filters of the gas masks, would no longer work for that gas. And so hopefully then in the combination they would take off the gas mask and then still be hurt by it. So, so what it was, was very annoying. It was extremely, um, the presence in the body of the toxic gases uh, can remain there for 20, 30 years and the effects of it, you live with it. So chronicle bronchitis, chronicle gastritis, you don't die from it but you have the, the side effects of the remainder of your life. So it was a horrible weapon. So, so um, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing that then in the Second World War, of course, it wasn't used. Um, and um, so we come around and here we see a big cart, which is a, a horse-drawn ambulance of uh, the, the London Field Ambulance, and uh, which was still used in 1917. So on the one hand, you have a very modern warfare with new weapons with an incredible firepower. On the other hand, this is still 100 years ago, and so the evolutions in, in, uh, in, in medical care and all that is, is still on its way. So, so uh, there was a lot to be learned during the war, as in every war, uh, and, uh, and, and so this is, this is one of the, of the striking objects here in this part where you see 
My God, was this an ambulance? Yes, and it was um, drawn by horses. Uh, it was uh, not a motor ambulance as we would know. And still, I should remind people that are listening that it's walking through this cloth hall. It's magnificent, uh, and it sort of seems fitting that this museum's been put in here uh, from the, this building that was uh, recreated. Uh, and like you said earlier, not rebuilt completely until I think you said 1967. Yes. And um, it's a great setting for a museum. Yes, uh, it, it is. And, um, and it's also at the centre because we also say one, another thing is, uh, so one story is from the bottom up. That's the way you tell the story. The second thing is that the real museum is outside. The real museum is outside in the battlefields where you have all the monuments, all the cemeteries where you can find it. And here in the museum, you learn about that. So the film you see here is a combination of footage of uh, the period and photographs and maps and everything in combination with the present day landscape. So that when you go there, so you see, um, this this big projection here you have one map where you see uh, the red dot that's where we are at the moment and then you see surrounding areas the aerial photographs of the day and the shifting lines in blue is the allied in red is uh, the germans and uh, for each of the positions uh, around Ypres there is a story to be told. I have seen similar sort of things, but not as good as this, but the combination, it's like almost 3D sort of with the yeah. different screens. With, yeah. And, and it, it gives you a good perspective because it's difficult when you're up there on the fields, they're now farm fields or their houses there. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult to imagine, but when you see it transposed like that yes. over the top of it, it's, it's fantastic. You see, the, this is a 1915 image, a big panorama of the Men in Road. The Men in Road still exists. It, uh, one of the battles of the Third Battle of Ypres, or won by the Australians, was called the Battle of the Men in Road. So it's still there, and, and so to know where it comes from, how it looked like in the war, uh, and what happened there. Then and, and the photos, sort of the, the old photos going between the current day as it pans around and the old picture in the same location. It's amazing. Yes. And I should say, this is sort of like in a, a, a dome, but a half dome sort of thing, I suppose, with the screens and uh, are up on the... the inside of the dome which yeah. is a, it's, it's a good setting as well. Yes and you see here again occasionally we go back to the building where we are and then it's uh, now it's the Ypres salient between 19 and 15 supposedly all quiet on the western front because everything is happening down in the Somme. It's not entirely true because in, in the meantime the killing goes on of course in trench warfare. Well, my great uncle he died and he was at the Battle of uh, Messines um, and then in 1917, the 16th of July, 1917, oh. he was in the so-called nursery sector where it was supposed to be quiet, but he got killed in the nursery sector. So there was, I don't think there was too many quiet spots where you well, were safe. <laughs> we, should, we should have his name in our list so that he is projected then on the, on the what is it, on the six, uh, 17th of June? 16th of July. Uh, oh, 16th of July, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, day I'll have to come here and look on, the, on, yeah, the, on that day. On the day, yes. So here, trench warfare, what does that mean? Well, it means that you have two positions that, which are very close to each other, but it also means that uh, if you want to break through, you know that behind the first front, front line trench, there will be a second one, and a third one, and a fourth one. And so it's, it's very hard to fight like that, even to attack in that. But even in normal trench warfare, they, they want to, to get their positions better. And they do this by, by basically um, trench artillery, which are very crude little uh, mortars 
the very first mortars. Uh, this one was called a toffee apple, and you can see why that was. It's almost <laughs> medieval looking. Yes, it's almost medieval looking. And, uh, and of course, then the big one, the big killer uh, in that trench warfare, because as soon as you had a raid into no man's land and one of the machine guns saw you, well, they would take you out. So, so the, the big machine guns, they were important in that. And, uh, and, and for the rest, uh, it, if it comes to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat, that's then we, we're going to walk through the trench here. And uh, so this is, uh, in fact, it's not a, not a, it is a real trench. The wood comes uh, and the duckboard comes from uh, the excavations in the fields around Ypres. So it's a genuine trench, but we've put glass on top so that you can walk in it. Yeah, and glass on the side uh, with the, uh, the supports, the wooden supports as yes, well, and yes. that, that are sort of, you know, obviously have been uh, out there for a hundred years or more and yeah, are, yeah. are decayed. And, and either side, as we walk, maybe walk yes. across, and yes. I'll, yeah. I'll walk backwards so I can keep talking to you. But we're on on the glass here now, and um, so um, uh, this is the average height of the of 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 the trench in those days so so you would be secure in here and you would need as you can understand people were my size or even a bit smaller on average they would need a fire step to to go up before they could fire at at the enemy and uh, in the showcase there you see if it comes to close combat that you have the the very short the daggers and the pistols and the, and the trench clubs there to, to to the side that's what they would use on the other side you see the defenses and they look genuinely medieval uh, and and um, most of them didn't have a long life they, they just were uh, there but for of course the barbed wire with those what they call the pigtails and they look like a corkscrew where they would uh, turn them into the ground that's very silently so you could do that without being hurt and then you could hang the barbed wire on it and it made um, infantry attacks very very difficult you had to cut that wire first before you could get uh, anywhere and interestingly enough i just bought one of those from steve at the uh Grenadier bookshop, yeah. the, the British one, but the British was a, oh, a curl yeah. at the top, and the German is a spike, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yes. So that's the. That's I watched my step down here, but yeah, that's that's a good way of uh, you know, recreating it. Just to give you a little feel for what it's like. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're still used. Uh, they're the still farmers used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you just said your great uncle was killed at Messines. This is Messines in 1915. He was more down towards. He, he fought at the Battle of Messines, but he fought down uh, a couple of weeks later. He was down uh, around. Uh, Plugstreet. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is well, this is taken from Plugstreet to uh, Messines. So this is the uh, taken from Hill 63, which is already in Plugstreet. To the side of this is Plugstreet Wood, and so this is looking towards uh, Messines. And uh, I think it's here, so we can zoom in. Uh, but this is still a 1915 uh, picture. And if you would go there today, of course, it would again look quite similar. Mm. Because now, of course, nature has come back. And, uh, and so that's the village that was... Uh, the village itself was taken by the New Zealand Division. And then next to it, so to the right of the church, that was taken by the 3rd and 4th Australian Divisions. Mm. Yeah, my great-uncle was in the 4th. Australian the division, yeah, yeah. and there's the the Messine Church. It's yeah. uh, destroyed. Lots it, of it's it, destroyed there as well. Yes, and at the end of the war, very very little remained. But but just to give you one example of how 
uh, yeah, how uh, in, in, in fact a hundred years on it's still worth going to visit that landscape. Um, so we zoom in now on a farm, which was called, I believe it was called Irish Farm, but I'm not, not too sure about that. It's, it's, it's one of the farms in front of Messine, uh, still in the, in the Allied lines. And then, oh, Irish Farm, there it is, yes. That's how it looks today. I went to that. There was a burial at Irish Farm. There was wow. at the, at the cemetery uh, yeah. uh, in October this year. There was okay, uh, well. a, a couple of British soldiers, unknown British soldiers. There was some excavate or some building work nearby, and they discovered those bodies, and they were and reburied in the Irish in, in, in the Irish yeah. Farm cemetery. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how it still goes. Uh, these days, uh, they can be buried very near the spot where they're found. Mm. Another feature which is quite interesting is this here is. Um, um, the Allies decided, and especially the, the, the British Army in 1917, decided that they would dig in underground. They would create deep dugouts for the battalion commands. So in preparation of the Third Battle of Ypres, they had something like a hundred uh, of these underground uh, structures. And they would figure that 10 meters below the ground, there would be... Uh, not to be heard by the German artillery because if you, even if you had a direct impact it was like a crater of uh, six to eight meter and they went as deep as 10 meter and so this is the actual uh, an example of one of these uh, underground structures which had the headquarters of two battalions and it's called Yorkshire Trench and Dugout and uh, it was discovered in 1992 and Thank God the archaeologists went in with a camera. And so whatever they found on the day, uh, we can still see on display in this case. I've been there. It's, I've been to the Yorkshire Trench in the it, middle of an industrial area. It's in, in the middle of an industrial yeah. area. So it was the same area uh, where we got uh, the one acre that, that we cleared and then f what, what did we found. So that's in, in the same area, So which was not uh, well cleared uh, just after the war and that's why there's so so many uh, valuable information coming from that still to this day mm. also of course a lot of human remains we maybe should move along yeah. because it um, yeah what, your, your what story is going to be too long <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to tell it was a, a four-year war with yeah. millions of millions of people died yeah. um, why should people come here should they come here before they go out to look at the battlefield yes I, I think it's a good introduction it gives you a good introduction an overview of the battles first thir uh, second third fourth battle of Ypres we're gonna add a lot more to that because uh, in, in 1918 we don't have films now we're gonna make two more films uh, to explain about those battles of 1917 especially and 1918 so that is that is so that gives you an introduction and in each time it will be done in the same thing as the one we saw before here in relation to the present day battlefield so that you understand if I go to uh, a, a certain spot go to a cemetery I know in relation to exactly what part of the the war that was and, and so that is why you should go first. The second reason why you should come first here is because you hear the voice of the people. You hear the voice of the people talking to you and it's their experience. It's not our experience. It's, 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 their ex it's not the historian's perspective. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the ordinary men and women of, of, of the generation who tell their story. And, and 
good and bad all combined and and uh, and it, it allows you to make up your own mind and then you go to to the countryside uh, around Ypres and visit the famous monuments and 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 so on but hey, yeah. just before we go on to you say something um a chance for you to say how good it is but what what makes this museum so good and how good is it there's lots of museums if you and lots of things that are competing for people's interest why why should people come here rather than maybe some other museum i'm not trying to put you off play you off against each other but why why are you so good why should they come here well i i think it's all about storytelling isn't it and and people listen to stories of whatever period whatever age they listen to stories this is a museum where stories are being told they speak to you the witness accounts they 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 tell to you how to look at things to understand them and and you listen to their words you listen to their voices in behind this here we have uh, uh, two nurses and a doctor from the medical uh, care who who are giving their experience of 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 treating the wounded in in the third battle of Ypres um, you don't need more before you go out to a cemetery to understand what agony those people went through. So it, it, is, it is very much an, uh, uh, to prepare you for an experience uh, that will happen to yourself when you visit this. Uh, and to get to understand that, to get into the mood of that, you need to come here. I, I, I think that's, that's, the best, that's the best shot that this museum has to offer. Because there are other museums that might have more bombs and cannons and things on display but this has got the, the videos and the, and the stories like reading out that German pioneer talking about the gas attack um, gives you it puts you right in the spot it, it yes you're all of a sudden in the middle of his experience and there's no escape there time moves on and we are now third and fourth generations but the story remains as genuine as it's always been. It is, it is very much a people's experience, and, and, uh, and wars always are. And I think men should be the measure of war, not the high political ideas or, or, or the power or the mighty or not even the historians. It's about the people. And, and so, so that is what this museum tries to do. And, I mean, it's up to you to, to tell us if we achieved this or not. But if you go to Passchendaele, you have to, to see this, this, this little model first. You have to understand what it looks like. This is, uh, in fact, a bunker, bunker that was called between Ypres and Zonnebeke, which was called Anzac. And uh, so, so it's taken from a photograph and then it was done by a great modeler to, to, to show you the actual, well, I mean, describe the conditions. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, there's, there's some tree trunks left, not many, and just some, you can see all the barbed wire with the pickets. You can see a abandoned tank with a body coming out of it, um, another bunker over in the back, um, and people, like British soldiers and some Germans helping yeah, them lift out yeah, some yeah. wounded and, um, yeah, mud, craters. Uh, a moonscape, horrendous That's conditions, and that was Passchendaele, wasn't it? Was the that, that the was mud and the blood? That the mud and the blood. That is the uh, Anzac experience of 1917. That's very much it, and and uh, so this time just done in the model, uh, but of course there's witness accounts to go with it. Um, this museum is, uh, I imagine, a magnet from people all around the world, from those 110 countries, uh, would come here. How is it important for the people of Ypres? 
and, and what role does it play with, for the locals? Well, it, it's uh, it, that that is is uh, why we also had to bring in some witness accounts of, of local people, and of course uh, why we we have to uh, now we had a program of ten years looking into the stories of people who came here and died here, that is now a, a magnificent database of as I say approximately six hundred thousand names. And the next thing we will do is make a similar database, and that's going to take us another 10 years, of the refugees. Because those are hidden stories. They are, within the family lore, it's very, it's, it's already uh, uh, very relevant if you have the name of a place where they get went to, somewhere in, in England, somewhere in Scotland or in, in France. Uh, uh, if you have the name of the place, then you can start to, to search for it. Now, we've discovered that the Belgian um, central administration, uh, cooperating with both the uh, uh, British administration and the French administration, got of every single refugee one file. They're not going to um, digitize it, but we are going to do it with our volunteers. With um, up to 50 volunteers, we will do it. It's a million and a half uh, <laughs> files, but we will do it. So that, uh, as, as you rightly say, that's that, that part for the local population uh, is also going to be told and also be integrated into the main story of, the, of, the, of, 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 of this museum, which is a very international story. And, and, but to make it also more local, that's, that's, that's the first thing we're going to do. And the second thing is, uh, is we're going to tell about when the people returned, how they came to a different place, of course. It was raised from the earth. They had to reconstruct it entirely. And that reconstruction is a story in itself. But also reconstructing after war meant that they had to integrate the memory of the war into that. And, and how this was done and how it changed the identity of this, of, of this city forever is, I think, the second story we need to tell. Because also that is not well understood. I mean, Ypres is a, is a fundamentally different place before 1914 and after 1918. And, and, and to, to, to be able to, to, to tell that in, in, in exhibits in a museum, I think is, is very valuable for let's say that that relation between that international public that comes out here and that local public that that is more or less hosting those people if if they want it or not well they want it of course i mean Ypres is, is uh, um, you mentioned chocolate before well uh, you could, I could also say local beer <laughs> and the one cherry so beer. I like quite like the cherry. Well, beer. exactly. So, so it's also, it's also, it's, it's. I, I often say so when people go back they, in the morning, they visit the museum. In the afternoon, they're out on the battlefields visiting, looking at the cemeteries, at the monument, at the battlefields, and then they come back for the last post. And after they, that, they come back to the city centre, which is still alive and thriving, restaurants and terraces and, and pubs and so on. And, and then they come back to the life. They've spent the day in the, in the realm of, 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 of death, mostly. And then they come back at night and then 
they re-embrace life again. And, and I think that is why it works, why, why the combination works, why people... It's, it's not a miserable experience. It's, it's, of course, it's a serious experience. But after that, you always come back to life and you realize how important that is. And, and, and uh, I think it leaves you with good intentions to make the best of your life. Uh, after you've done the experience. And it's also a good chance if you're travelling with some other people, maybe a family, for, for those in your family who might not be as interested as you are in the military side of things, that want to go shopping or do yeah, a dinner yeah, in a nice yeah, restaurant, get yeah, their chocolates. Yeah. And yes, exactly. No, 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 this is, this is, this is certainly the case. So I, one more feature I want to, to show you before a little bit of the reconstruction. Here we have uh, something which looks very odd in a war museum. <laughs> it looks more like in, uh, for, a, for a natural museum, a nature museum. Um, it's, uh, how do you call it? A cross-section of a, a tree. A cross-section of a tree. And the tree was planted in uh, 1760 in the Chateau Park of Elverdingen, which is just to the north of Ypres. And um, it was spotted, not by me, but, but uh, the foresters who cut it, they saw that you had these patches in, in, in uh, black, blackened up spots in, in the tree. And we gave it to dendrologists and, uh, and they analyzed it. First they did the, the earrings and they counted it. And this is 1917. And That's where you're pointing to a big, the black sort of burnt mark on the... Yes. on this cross section of the yes. train. But it's also there, it's also there, and it's also to the other side. And um, uh, I thought it was a burn mark or something like that. It isn't, it's stress. So the tree is telling the story of the First World War, if you want it or not. And to tell you more, I'm, we are at this moment in the same park we had another dry summer last summer. Two more oak trees have been felled. They've grown 20 years longer, but exactly on the same spot, they have the same thing. 1917 is marked in that tree as well. And that's not a shell mark or something no, like that. It's no. just stress. It's just a black. Stress. Wow. I would have thought that's burnt. Yes, I, I would thought. And, and they say, you see, that's, they, it may have been touched but as it's going throughout the whole tree, it's, it's going back in time and it's going forward in time. It is uh, a stress reaction of the tree. Wow, that sort of captures that period, doesn't it? In, in, in the lines of that tree that's so old, in that period there, that's incredible. Yeah, so if you want to deny that there ever been a war, the, the tree will correct you. And, and, and so that's why I think it's such an amazing object. And we are trying to get uh, one of the 20 year older tree that was uh, dying off uh, last summer. We're trying to get a, a cross section of that as well. Uh, just to show you there is no denying that this happened and that it was of a major impact to all creatures great and small. Pete, you've come in, I think, probably on your day off to talk to me, to spend, yeah. your, spend your time with me and spending the last hour or so with you as we've walked through the museum. I've, I can feel your passion and, and your interest in this. What's it like to, probably not a job is not the right way to describe it, um, what's it like to be here as the director uh, of, of this special museum in Ypres? 
Uh, it's 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 it, well, you, you, you're right. It's 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 about a passion. I, I I'm I'm a local boy. I I discovered the stories. I was listening to the stories of the old folk when I was a small boy. That's one. And secondly, I got all these questions, all these uh, things as I was going to the cemeteries and walking the battlefields and. Uh, so to be able to, to find an answer to, to, to my questions in a professional life and share it with so many people from all over the world is indeed a, a, a great satisfaction that, that, that yeah, I mean, to turn a hobby into, into a profession is to put it mildly, uh, it's, it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's like um, uh, a, a, a vision that was put on to me by the sheer presence of, of, of these monuments and cemeteries which gave me a certain view on life and, and to be able to express that and share it as I say with, with so many people across the, the planet is, is, is something overwhelming, still is. A dream job. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, not when you count it in hours, but <laughs> when when it when it when you when you can uh, spend it like that, and and you can you can build a team around you that 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 it, at most of the things I say now, I'm in, in the meantime much better than I am at it. Uh, it's it's a it's a great uh, uh, yeah, it's a great satisfaction to 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 have been able to have had the chance to to develop this. Pete, thank you so much for your time. You'd be a busy man, I imagine. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been fantastic to go through to get an insight. I've been through before, but yeah. to have a special tour with talking to you about it was yeah. fantastic. Thanks for sharing it, yeah, your yes. time and, yeah. and with me and your information. Yeah, thank you very much indeed.